Welcome to Revolution Solution, providing you with solutions for your revolution to be a free person in an unfree world. Join us in our pursuit of sovereignty through permaculture, technology, and community. back to Revolution Solution. This is Cody with Agora Brewing. And Jared, the Permian guy. And we're back with an update on the vault process because we've been troubleshooting for the past it's been like two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Figuring out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Everything that, that could possibly go wrong uh, and working through it. So I want to share what we ended up doing. Um, I did update the show notes for that episode so that you can see these changes. Um, and then we'll go through sort of a step-by-step of the actual wallet building process because um, we need to make sure that it, if you're going to do it the way we're doing it here, that you know what we did. Um, in the previous, we, we had mentioned using Yeti cold, if you just want to do Yeti cold, that's fine. Um, but if you use Sparrow like we did, then, uh, you know, it, it's much the same process, but you're not going to use Yeti cold at all. You're going to be doing it with Sparrow on your own. So, right. There is a, we'll a video that we'll link that provides some help because it's the, the Yeti walkthrough step by step. And the process is much the same once you get into Sparrow, but there are deviations that we're going to cover. All right, so let's see. Basically, starting from the beginning, I sent the laptops back to you. Everything was, for the most part, working, except Sparrow, for some reason, wouldn't connect to the local node or the Electrum server. Correct. Um, but for some reason, it would connect to mine remotely. Yes. Which is very odd. Um. So uh, aside from Sparrow, um, do you want to share your experience? Like, like once I got it back to you and everything was kind of the way that I, I had set it up originally. Like, what what did you think of that process of getting into it and getting things running? Uh, it was it was fairly straightforward from there. Um, there were handy little desktop icons made for launching uh, ElectRS and Vault Warden, uh, which basically just uh, ran them within Terminal. Um, super straightforward there. The, the only pain in the butt part was working with Sparrow itself and figuring out how to convince it to connect to anything. Um, that was not straightforward. Uh, and there was no real help online. We just had to keep troubleshooting every possible option. Right. Yeah, well, so we pretty much like were doing troubleshooting at that point. That was not what I expected us to have to do. Right. Um, pretty sure I had had it connected to Bitcoin Core at some point, like before I even sent them back to you, which makes no sense to me why it didn't do that once you got it. But um, 
yeah, we were we were trying every combination of IP address and port number and Tor and not Tor and whatever else. And um, for some reason, Sparrow just wouldn't really connect to like over any network locally or over Tor to the uh, node. So um, what we ended up finding out is there's a, a an issue thread that was brought up on GitHub where someone had almost the exact same issue. Like, I don't know if they were having issues with the local node, but they definitely were having issues with Tor. Um, so Craig Raw ha had towards the end said, hey, I'll build a binary for you because they finally figured out like kind of what the issue was. And after that, we, you know, I remember you looking at it and just being like, so where's the binary? <laughs> like, where yes. where is this fix? Like, I have no idea. Um, and it turns out it was that they the binary he built was just merged into the master branch which is what like if you go to github and look at a program that's what you see is the master branch um and so it hadn't been released as a full release yet um so the the current version is 1.6.6 which i believe came out either uh i think yeah yeah august 4th because when we were looking at this, it was like a month ago. So this was a couple of weeks ago, a month ago from that was August 4th. So that was the most recent release. And the issue on GitHub was happening like two weeks later or something. Yes. Because it was about 20 days ago when I was looking at it. So that basically meant that, that he had like his working folder that has all of the code in it like when you go to build from source, that's what you're building out of. And that wasn't a release. So you couldn't use just the regular .deb file, which we originally recommended. Um, and we should be able to go back to recommending as soon as a new release comes out. But for version 1.6.6 right now, which is the first version compatible with Taproot, we'll be having to build from source until the next release. 1.6.7 comes out. So, and those instructions are in the show notes. Um, anything you want to add before we get into the, uh, the actual wallet part of it? Um, just that Sparrow can be finicky, as we've been saying, so just test out all sorts of different options, uh, trying to connect to your local node or Electrum server, uh, if you have that set up. Because um, I think I actually, what, what worked for me a week or so ago, I actually had to change and do things differently to get reconnected yesterday because I'd lost connection because uh, we lost power for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes the other day. Uh, so everything kind of reset. I had to do do things a little bit differently the second time. So it's just it's it's temperamental for whatever reason, and it may just be a Debian issue. Because um, I feel like it was very straightforward when we were set up on Ubuntu, uh, but for whatever reason, Debian doesn't agree with it, or it doesn't agree with Debian. Yeah. I don't, we still well, don't know what the hell the issue actually is. It has to do with the way Tor was communicating to Sparrow or Sparrow to Tor. Um, and I don't really know why 
basically Tor was giving an error when there really wasn't an error. Like they were communicating fine, and then Tor just goes, "Nope, sorry, you uh, did one thing either out of order or took too long or something," and then it just told it. I mean, that's yeah, that's as basically. far as I could tell. That's yeah. what that's what the issue made it sound like. Um, I I don't know why that would be Debian specific um, because on well, and I don't remember if. Well, see, see, this wasn't. This is what was weird too. Is on Ubuntu, you were connected locally, which means you were just like routing through the computer. You weren't using Tor. You weren't using the internet at all. It was just okay. Um, here's the internal router thing that's inside the computer that says, you know, like here's a little the little train station that we need to go to, and then it'll direct you to other programs, kind of thing. Um, um kinda. But it it. The node but was set that's up how with you Tor, were and I was connecting over the Tor proxy. Were you? Because yeah. you were connecting with with Sparrow, connecting to your node locally without Electrum. You should have been connecting via 127.0.0.1, port 833, which is not Tor. But so I'm 120, pretty sure it was using the proxy, that it was using the Tor proxy. Um, that's weird because we never would have made a Tor address for you to connect it to. You see what I'm saying? Like you wouldn't have even had a Tor address to do that with. Yeah, but when you specify the server, it's just uh, localhost 127.0.0.1 and then the Tor socket for the port. Right. Yeah, the, the Tor port is 9050, but that's... It shouldn't have been connecting over 9050. It would have been connecting just on 127.0.0.1, and then it probably didn't have... I bet you that it didn't have the port in there at all, um, because it, it was just using Bitcoin defaults. Mm, yeah, it could be. Because I, I remember when you when you originally set it up, you got Sparrow downloaded, and you were just like, yeah, so I had to go to... Because I think you had it set up before I did, and you were like, yeah, I just had to go to the Bitcoin Core... And uh, put in, you know, server equals one. Yes. And then Sparrow, and then Sparrow just worked or something like I because we hadn't been messing with Tor for you yet at all, other than the uh, Vault Warden instance, which was on the other computer. Oh, uh, okay, maybe that's what it was. <clears throat> that's what I'm saying. Like, because if if Sparrow just connected, it just booted up and said, "Hey, there's a local node. I'll connect to that." Um, that would make sense because that was what it was supposed to do. Um, but in this case, for some reason, when we do 127.0.0.1, which is the local host or, you know, your computer, um, it wouldn't recognize it at all. Um, basically just gave us the same, actually kind of the same error, didn't it? It, it almost looked like, oh, uh, Tor is messing up, but it was like, what are you talking about? We're not using that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Um, in this case, it still is having that issue, which tells me it probably is a Debian issue. Um, because when they updated, when, when we built from source, you said you weren't able to use localhost still, but we were able to get it over the Tor address that was generated in the instructions. Um, and using, like, basically, you're going out to Tor and then back to your computer. Which is fine. It's just kind of odd that 
that it didn't work that way. So it may actually be better um, to use Ubuntu for this just because Ubuntu didn't have these issues. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to leave it Debian simply because it's really tempting with Ubuntu. Well, actually, I think even Debian, you could accidentally download the snap package from Bitcoin.org. And that's that very website. obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because there's the website snapcraft.io, and when you download that, it's going to do auto-updates and everything and try to act like Windows as much as possible and updates when we're dealing with Bitcoin. So um, we're just we're trying to avoid that. And one of the reasons, actually one of the reasons that we are avoiding Ubuntu now is because the Ubuntu repository actually links Firefox to the Firefox snap and not the actual repository version of Firefox, which means that um, you're getting Firefox updates directly from Mozilla with like no oversight. Yeah. So it's it's a little weird. Um, and because I use Firefox, because we have the Start Nine Labs documentation to to set up Firefox to use Tor. You can, you can basically just visit any Tor address, like a regular address in your regular Windows. You don't have to do Brave, where you go to a Tor window, and it's like a separate window, and things are weird and, and separated. Um, in Firefox, you can just integrate the whole thing and, and make it kind of nice. So we're using those, and if we're going to use those and access sensitive things like this, I don't want push updates coming from Mozilla either. So we're just, we're avoiding that, too. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm thinking. So, I guess if, if you want me to, I could do Ubuntu instructions and then just say all the other instructions should be exactly the same. Um, they should be, because it's Debian-based anyways, but... Um, I can do I can do Ubuntu installation instructions. Yeah, maybe add them to the uh, <clears throat> to the show notes just to yeah. be safe. Um, yeah, their uh, their website is a lot more straightforward than the Debian one too. Like I had to basically compile all of that information into a few commands for people to use, rather than like. Digging, having having somebody like, hey, go to Debian.org and use it. It's like, okay, well, now you're going to be digging through pages and pages of stuff because they they really don't hold your hand at all. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, here's the instructions. Type these lines to verify the, the image file for the operating system and then go, you know. Um, so I, I may do that. And if you want to use Ubuntu, you can use Ubuntu. I'm not going to hold it against anybody, but make sure that we're installing things correctly and avoiding um, Snapcraft or Snap Package versions of any any Bitcoin-related software. Um, okay, so now that we're through that, I guess, I, I don't know if there's anything else that we need to say before we go to the wallet creation, right? Uh, no, I think that's pretty much it as far as that's concerned. Okay. So do you, um, you want to like describe the like the yeti thing and and their process yes since you've watched the video a couple times now yeah um so with yeti cold if you're actually following along on yetycold.com um it it's a very straightforward handhold through the full process from 
the point of just taking your laptops out of the packaging all the way through to having uh, a multi-sig setup offline uh, and being able to, I think there's also test, deposit, and withdrawal um, to verify and like multiple key verifications along the way too. Um, so it's super straightforward if you are uh, newer but want to have higher security with your setup, it is definitely a good option. <clears throat> We're following along loosely. Um, we've got a primary and a secondary device. Primary device has my node and Electrum server set up on it. It is internet connected. It's hardwired to my router for better connection. And that is serving any wallets that I can connect via Electrum server so that I am doing all of my transaction verification. I'm sending my transactions to my own node to be published to the chain. I don't have to rely on anybody else. That's yep. the primary device. So that allows me also to connect uh, mobile wallets to my own node rather than having to connect to a random public node uh, yep. by way of the Electrum server. Secondary device is unlike the Yeti cold setup, uh, it never touches the internet. It, I'm not saying this as a slight against Yeti cold uh, because I believe that once you've done the online things, uh, you disable Wi-Fi at that point. Um, yeah, you're just downloading the Yeti program pretty much, right. and, once and then it's it basically running, runs. It runs yeah. localhost. Um, it yeah. walks you through in a in a web page as if it were, you know, a website that you were going through. Um, but the yep. the URL and the address bar is localhost. Blah blah blah. Um, <clears throat> so once you've gotten the program, everything else from there forward takes place offline. So it's not a slide against that at all. This computer I'm using has been connected to the internet at one point, or else I would not have Sparrow Wallet on there. So, you know, it's yep. no it's more this... or less secure of a setup than Yeti Gold. Yeah, it's basically the same product process. Um, I would I would argue that it's slightly less secure than Yeti Gold, just on the grounds that we're using a third-party wallet to generate our wallet. Um, but we're doing this because the UI is simpler. I think it's nice for people who... Um, if you're going to be using it all the time, it's it's easy to work with. And in a multi-sig setup, it's easy to work with, especially because once you start using like Bitcoin Core in a multi-sig, um, you end up having to touch the console window. And uh, I was saying this off air before we started, but the, the console window really, it, it's like when you run a Minecraft server for the first time, like on your computer, and it's got like this window where you can issue commands and you have to, you have to type in the word help a lot to find out what the, you know, what are the buttons I can push kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And so when you're doing multi-sig, because that's not built into the UI with Bitcoin Core as much as it is on Sparrow, um, I to me, it, it seemed intimidating for new users. And my, my goal right now is to say, okay, look, Sparrow is open source on GitHub. Tons of people use it. Um, there's tons of reviews on the thing. Um, if you want to use it to uh, get this going and in sort of a user-friendly way, that's that's our goal because we want more people to do it, especially having offline keys and, um, you know, being able to actually you know, get as close to using Bitcoin Core as possible without scaring anyone off. Because yes. 
you know, I'm, I'm very anti-hardware wallet at this point. I like using Sparrow because um, I do feel that, um, you know, software is easier to verify than software and hardware, especially when, you know, people like, like a hardware wallet gets sent to you in the mail and everything else. So this is, this is, you know, just that, that step better, even if it's not all the way to full-blown Bitcoin only, Bitcoin Core is the best wallet. Um, which, you know, I would agree with, too, because if you actually go look at it, if you if you use Bitcoin Core at all, you'll be like, yeah, this be, between Bitcoin Core and Sparrow really is just like the, the colors and the some of the way that the, the wallet looks that is different. But like as far as the things you can do and the buttons you can click, it's all very similar. So. Yeah. And uh, also important note, as always, the obligatory mention that most Bitcoin is lost due to user error and not some sort of uh, malicious intent from a, a third party. Um, so any any steps that you can take that are not major flaws in your do not create major flaws in your security that make a more straightforward user experience are, in my opinion, good trade offs. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah. It. It's basically just like whether or not you think, you know, I, and I guess what you could do is you could wait if you're, if you're worried about like any third party wallet maker pushing a bad update, you could just wait and see like what kinds of bugs and things come out before, you know, give it, give it a couple of months before you just update to the newest version. Yeah. Um, sure. And that'll save you a lot of trouble because you can watch, like, like we said, with the GitHub page, you can go to issues and see like, you know, what kinds of pe problems are people having with this? You know, did something crucial break when he updated the program? Okay, I'm not going to update yet, right? That sort of thing. Um, and that'll that'll save you a lot of headache too. Yep, for sure. And if you're, I mean, if your vault device, secondary offline device for your setup is offline, you don't have to worry about updates mm -hmm. in the first place. Right. You could like eventually, if the, if you wanted to upgrade to like a Taproot multi-sig, you could um, shred your wallet file, put it back on the internet, download the update, and then re like you know use your backups to import the wallet again. Yeah. So that that's something that you may end up doing at some point. Um, it's just that's very infrequent, and I don't think it's going to happen for most people. And if it does. Again, the, the signing device or the, the secondary device, the offline device, that device is only signing transactions. So there's a lot of features that you may not actually even need on that device. Right. As long as you can pass a partially signed Bitcoin transaction to it and then use the keys to sign it, you're fine. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. Okay, so, so, further deviation. Yeah. Um, with Yeti Cold, since you're generating your wallet, through Bitcoin Core, you can use the XPriv instead of uh, Bit39 mnemonic seed words, um, <clears throat> which allows for you know I would a, a bit more randomness in your wallet generation, and also just a, a bit of an added layer of security uh, because the way that they are written out is using modified NATO format. So you know A is Alpha, B is Bravo, with capitalization and lowercase letters taken into account with that as well. So when it's written out... And numbers. Yes, and numbers as well. 
Um, so when it's written out, it looks something like a seed phrase um, with more words than, you know, it won't fall directly on a 12, 18, or 24 um, number of words. I, I believe it's 52. Um, so, if, yeah. you know, to somebody who stumbles across it, they are less likely to know what the information even means. So it's, you know, just that further obscuring layer. Um, they may think it's some combination of the words is a seed phrase. And with that, they'll, they'll never get anywhere. Right. Um, so just some, something of note with Sparrow, uh, each of the keys has to be generated with a seed phrase. Or a hardware wallet, if you believe in those. Uh, I think I lost you for a second there. So it, they're generated with uh, seed words or a hardware yep. wallet. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Sparrow, yeah. Sparrow keys, like each key store is, is a mnemonic seed phrase or some right. sort of hardware wallet, if you believe in those. Right. Yeah, well, and, and in that case, all they're really doing is importing. Like, when you use a hardware wallet, it's just finding the connection so it can use the hardware wallet to import the public key. Yes. So it imports a public key, and then your hardware wallet becomes the secondary computer in the Yeti Cold setup, if you want to watch that video and see how it works. I mean, that's essentially what a hardware wallet is supposedly doing. Um, but, of course, when you're doing it yourself, you can verify that that is what you're doing. Um, and that's what... I appreciate about the air-gapped computers setup. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, I guess that another, I get another fair enough uh, time to point out. You'll often hear people say, "Oh, you're going to get your multi-sync set up and use devices from different manufacturers." <clears throat> none of that. Don't do that. None of that's necessary. Don't do that anyways. Even if you were going to do a multi-sig with multiple hardware wallets, you really should be using the same hardware wallet. Why is that? Um, because the... the oh, man. Uh, Bit, Bitbox had a really good like article about that on their website on shiftcrypto.ch. Um, but it was basically... It, it had something to do with the fact that like each wallet does things differently. And so if one wallet is less secure than another... You can end up, you can end up having compatibility issues for one and for two. Um, if one's less secure than another, you can uh, end up exposing things that you don't like, exposing your privacy. When you know, if you were using them all the same, it's uh, you have the same security model with every single one of them. Um, okay, I'll have to go find that article. There, there's a lot. There's there was more to it than that, but it was. Basically, it, it's it's really easy to screw it up if you're using like a Bitbox, a cold card, a ledger, and a Trezor, as opposed to like four Bitboxes. Okay. Yeah, I'll go find that actually. Yeah, that'd be interesting because I I hear a lot of people <clears throat> mentioning using see wallets from different manufacturers, and I don't. I mean, I, the uh, the uh, cynic in me says that that's just uh, an opportunity to have more sponsors. Right. Well, the, the logic there, I think, is that um, if your supply chain attacked or if one if one hardware wallet ends up being malicious, they only have one key out of a quorum. Yeah. That's really the idea. Um, yeah, that was the way I But I don't. It. 
like it's such a that's such a simple line and there's like so many other issues that can come up it, to me it's like why would you um why would you sacrifice all of the other issues just to solve this one issue so let me... i wish there was a search bar see this is why everyone needs a search bar on their blog Well, if I find it, I will put it in the show notes. I do not see any kind of button for it, and they don't have a search bar on their blog. So, But guess who does? We do. True. Okay. Well, so we're using software wallets, but we're using them air-gapped offline, and the only software wallet that is online can receive, but it can't send because it doesn't have keys. So, yes. With the 3 of 7 goes to use because that was the Yeti Cold recommendation in terms of you have 3 keys that you need, so you have 4 opportunities to screw up, and that's protecting you against user error and, you know, losing your backups or something. And then the three keys means you have to have 3 locations compromised by a theft. Uh, or natural disaster or whatever. Or natural disaster before you um, actually lose access to your funds. Yeah. Or not lose access. Um. Well, lose your funds. Like in the case of stealing, like somebody actually stealing your funds. Yes. So you have four. You have four opportunities for natural disaster, not three. Yes. Yep. Um. um and and should I give four of those keys to? some company that I don't know anything about in case I lose one of my three. <laughs> All right. Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't give four of them because, well, I guess, yeah, that's pretty analogous, isn't it? Because you, you would have what's, I won't name names, but there are companies that will say, look, you can have a key. We'll have a key. And then we'll give a third party a key. Yes, and it's a two of three multi sig, so you actually don't have access to the funds. Yes, it's so like in this case, with it, your with, money, like dollars, with with three of seven, it would be uh, you have two keys, but we have uh, five. Yes, <laughs> it's like okay, so you don't have your money. <laughs> yeah, this is the system um, I'm trying to get away from. Right now, exactly. I'm a, right now, I'm in a two of three with me, my bank, and the government. Yeah. Anybody knows the problems. Everybody knows the problems. That's what we're trying to get right. away from. Exactly. And, you know, just like any third party, the government could fall on your side or the bank's side, and that's, you know, we're, we're avoiding that. You know, it's just like the, the Bitcoin-backed loans. You know, don't give your Bitcoin to other people to hold on to and then expect to be able to get it back later. It's just dumb. Yes. Um, if, if the bank will so, accept shitty, disgusting dollars as collateral instead, use those. Right. Or just debt, right? Not even right. they'll they'll use an IOU as collateral, right? So I have yep. an uncollateralized loan. Way back. Um and I could have used and Rollo actually talked about that on his episode uh yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um so the the uncollateralized loan is obviously uncollateralized, so if you can get a good rate, you know, like um you usually can at a bank as opposed to you know, a credit card. And buy your Bitcoin using that, 
then you can just buy all the Bitcoin and they don't have a they don't have a legal right to that Bitcoin because it's not collateralized. So. Right. Um, yeah. Anyways, tangent. Uh, let's see. So when we actually go to generate the wallet, um, I'm just going to sit here staring at Sparrow and I'm going to walk through the actual steps. Um, yes, and you I'm can doing go the same. I brought my secondary wanna... device in here. Good. Okay. Yeah. So when you watch the Yeti Cold video, like you can use that as a reference because it's basically, I, I had already gone through the setup with Yeti Cold before. And so when I was doing it with Sparrow, I was mostly experimenting, mostly also you know, Yeti Cold is a three of seven, and I didn't have seven places to put my stuff, so I just decided to go with a two of three, um, like a basic bitch, and uh, that's what I've got, uh, and that's why I like sparrows because I can choose anywhere from one to nine keys for a, a wallet. Yeah. Um, and you can even make it like any like you can make it a one of nine if you wanted to. So you only need one key to access the funds, but there are nine keys. Like you could do that if you wanted to. Yes, if you were an insane person. Or you could person. do three of, do two of two. You could do three of four, three of five, three of seven, whatever. Uh huh. Yeah, if if you were insane, you can make it a one of nine. Uh, so basically, you're gonna open up Sparrow after completing all of the other instructions in the previous uh, show notes, and you're going to go File in the top left, and you're gonna click New Wallet or Control N if you want to skip clicking. Uh, when you do, I'm gonna make another test so I can see that screen. Test two. Um, it'll say settings, policy type, and script type. You want to change your policy type to multi-sig, and then the script type we're gonna leave as native segwit. Uh, currently, Sparrow Wallet in 1.6.6 does not offer Taproot multi-sig yet. Uh, eventually, it'd be really nice if you did because Taproot's kind of whole the thing with the obscure scripting, um, which would obscure multi-sig. Uh, so we would want that eventually. Yes, and we, we would will. upgrade, probably upgrade as soon as that update comes out, to be totally honest, because it's awesome to be able to use that with a multi-sig. Um, so I'll go multi-sig, I'll leave it in native SegWit, and then we're going to take the little toggles for cosigners, and we're going to drag them until we have three out of seven. So then the you'll, you'll notice underneath that it says script policy and descriptor, so that descriptor is actually going to show like the um that's going to be all of the keys put together sort of so you can if if you wanted to like on bitcoin core you could load the descriptor and it would load the entire wallet all together um sparrow does sort of separate that out a little bit because in the next box down key stores and in key stores, you can see every single key. So it says key store one, key store two, key store three, etc. And that's literally just every key that we're going to be making here. Um, so what you do is you just pick a key store. It should be on key store one already. And then you click new or imported software wallet. And then because Sparrow doesn't actually generate uh, master private keys it uses um bit 39 mnemonic words we're going to click on mnemonic words bit 39 i always use 24 i don't do any less than that um because i want to make sure that it's as b perfect Does, already yeah. answered my question before i asked it yep yep um i think one of the reasons they did 
they have like the less numbers is because certain, you know, maybe older hardware wallets and things like that. If you want to be able to enter that into a hardware wallet, um, it's less to type. It's also the fact that they don't, you know, there there's some wallets, especially older wallets that I only use 12. Yeah, many mobile wallets only allow 12 as well. Exactly. Yeah, and I think they do that because they think it's easier, but I'm just like, these are words, these aren't random strings. It's not like we're going from a 14-character password to a your password, right? We're talking about 12 or 24, and they're human-readable words, so... Yes. It's, it's not that hard. Okay, so we're going to click Use 24, and then it's going to pop up a window with a bunch of empty boxes, 1 through 24, and a passphrase, um, just to inform you guys on the passphrase thing, you don't have to fill that in, uh, but you could if you want to. Uh, there's a lot of people, actually, like um, Bitcoin developers, uh, I think Craig Raw. Uh, in the episode that you showed me, the Citadel Dispatch episode, mm -hmm. um, was saying he doesn't like passphrases. And one of the reasons for that is that a passphrase is basically a password that you put on your key that actually modifies the key into a new key. So if someone finds your 24-word backup and they don't find the passphrase, that 24-word 20, 20, backup is useless because it's not actually the key you used. Because the key you used is... 24 words plus word you made up. Um, the problem with it, though, is that the whole point of backing up your 24-word key is so that you have a backup, and if you put a passphrase on it, and then you have to remember that passphrase, well, now you're back to the same issue of, I forgot my password. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I get that from you, a beginner's perspective. You can't perspective. Um, store them together. Mm -hmm. Right, because storing them together is basically the same as not having a passphrase. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. So, it, it, yeah, if anybody stole your key and you were smart and you didn't leave the passphrase with the key, then uh, where, where are you going to put the passphrase, I guess? Oh, hold on a second. No worries. Okay, sorry about that. No worries. Um... Just had my mom stop by for a second because uh, normally she lets my dog out, but I forgot to tell her I was home today. So, all right. So, where were we? Generating the keys, passphrases. Probably don't use it. We're, we have seven keys, anyways. We don't need a passphrase for one of them or any of them. Correct. Because um, that's the point of having a multi sig. So, um, what you're going to do is you're going to click generate new. And what it's going to do is it's going to fill all of those slots with words. Um, make sure you write these down on paper. Do not, or, okay, both. But do not um, take a picture of it, especially if you have a an Android or um, Apple phone, because those a lot of times will automatically back up your pictures. And now you've just given Apple or Google your key. Yeah, so... Um, if you follow the Yeti cold backups, um, they do have CDs. Um, most of that is just to make it easy. Like you can, um, put the CD in the computer and then copy paste, which helps prevent you from screwing up. Um, in this case, I'm trying to decide really, you could get away with just typing it in because you're not doing um you know the the non-human readable private key you're actually using seed words 
Um, so you probably could just do paper because you're going to have to type them in manually anyway. Um, and then if you want to make that waterproof, go ahead and put it in. Like if you have a vacuum sealer for food, put it in, you know, a small bag and, and vacuum seal it off. Um, trying to think if there's anything, any other ways to, oh, I get if you wanted to, if you wanted to. You could go to one of these websites of these hardware wallets and buy one of those metal punch hole backups. If you want to go for fireproof too, um, that costs money and that also looks more like a Bitcoin key. Yes. Um, but the ones that just have like the hole punches on them, better than like the cipher wheel products. Don't don't do the cipher wheels because those. Um, those have like little tabs for each word, and then you put the tabs in. But you, when you put it in the wheel, you use you, you know put like the cat back on it, and then when you open it up, if you open it up wrong, those tabs fall out, and then your words are mixed up and they're out of order. Oh man! Yeah, it's fucking bad. <laughs> so yeah, that's I'm why really I say if you're gonna do one of those, yeah. That they uh they fell off real quick. Like they were super cool. Like people were advertising them like crazy, and then like that issue came out, and nobody used them anymore. <laughs> so, um, they do have that. That company makes the Cipher Grid now, uh, which I think is the same kind of product. I, I know uh, CoinKite does sell their own. Shift Crypto sells their own. Basically, every hardware wallet company will sell these because it's basically just a. It's a piece of sheet metal with that with a little punch for you to punch holes in. It's a grid. It's got you know one through twenty four down the side, and then like the alphabet across the top, and you just punch out the first four letters of every word, like you were saying. Um, the first four letters are all you need to every word in there, because yes. um, there's only one option by that time. By the time you have four letters in, there's only one option left, because uh, it will when you type these words in pop up like the you know, the options. So, like, if you type in the letter W, every word that starts with W pops up, and then you can pick one. Um, if you keep typing, once you get to four letters, there's only one option left. So, <clears throat> that's pretty much what we're going to do. We're going to write it down on paper, 1 through 24, um, and that's one key. You need, um, also, you need, and I would use a CD for this, um, you're going to need seven backups, paper backups, one for every key that you did, and then you're going to need seven CDs. Um, and the CD is just going to hold the public key for every key, not just the one that you um, have the private key to. So um, once you're done, once you're done backing up the keys and re-entering them to prove that you backed it up, um, you can click through that, all the blue buttons click through, and it will show up as a key store. Um, it'll say bit 39 for the label. It'll say type is software wallet. There'll be a button to view the seed again if you need to. Master fingerprint, um, just leave that alone. The derivation path, uh, you're actually going to want to write that down with your seed phrase. So you've got your 24 words, and then you also want to write down derivation is... Um, I think the default for Sparrow is going to be M slash 48. Uh, and then it's got these like quote marks, like um, I think a single foot quote. is a single, 
yeah, single and then inches are double, so it's a single. So like forty-eight feet slash zero foot slash zero foot slash two foot. I yep. that that's basically what determines how the key generates addresses. And so you want to make sure you have that because if you back this up into any other wallet, you need to tell that wallet how to go find the addresses because otherwise it may or may not find all of your Bitcoin. Um, it's basically like the the algorithm if you want to think of it like that. Oh, and then right below that is the XPub, which is your actual public key. Um, and you can make QR codes of these. Um, you can switch it to a ZPub if you're using Electrum Wallet for some reason. I don't like Electrum Wallet very much. Their their phone wallet is just terrible. Uh, their desktop wallet probably is still fine. It's probably one of the oldest running wallets that I've ever seen because um, they were around. They've been around since before 2017, I think. Sweet. So, yeah, they're they're. I, Electrum, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna use another third party wallet, I can recommend Electrum on the desktop. I have used it on the phone. It's terrible. Don't use it on the phone. Um, Understood. So we're gonna leave it in XPub format because ZPub really is only important if you're using Electrum. So, uh, yeah. So the the paper has the key, the seed phrase, and the derivation, and then the cd that you're gonna put into the computer every for every key that you generated you need to make a uh you're gonna make seven little text files on the cd and you're going to uh copy and paste the xpub onto that and you're just going to number them you know like pub key one pub key two pub key three through seven um, you're going to copy the XPub and you need to make sure they're numbered correctly. So if you copy the XPub for key one, it needs to go in pub key one. Okay. This is important. When you back up your, um, keys later, like if you're going to, let's say you're going to actually only use three keys and then you're going to have four public keys to make the wallet whole, um, you can still sign transactions that way, but you need to have the four public keys that you didn't use for the uh, the keys, and the way you keep track of that is by having them all numbered. So, um, yeah, you'll have seven CDs with seven text files, each of them labeled one through seven. And you're going to have the public keys on all of those. Uh, copy paste it into all of those. You're going to burn it on Debian. Uh, you'll notice in the instructions, I. Uh, I believe, actually, I'll double check this right now because I need to make sure it is in there. But, um, revolutionsolutionpod.com, shameless plug. Um, I should have put the instructions for downloading and installing Brazero. Yes, I did. So in the installation, when you it, under the section titled installing dependencies, um, there's a section for installing Docker. I also threw in there two extra commands to install Git and Brazero, uh, because Git is going to be used when we build things from source. And Brazero is the CD burning tool for uh, Debian systems. So 
um, you you have a disk drive on your laptop, and you're in the uh, folder view. You you know you click on the CD, you put the files on it, and then you need a button that says you know burn, and then you hear the computer whir like crazy because it's physically burning the data into the disk. That's what Brazero does. Um, that doesn't come default. So. Um, yeah, you burn your CDs, you've got seven paper backups, and then you also need instructions. And what I would do is actually just go to like the Yeti cold video or the, um, like you, you could get like partway through the Yeti cold instructions, like on their website and just copy what they put for their instructions and then just modify it for Sparrow if you wanted. I think on mine, I actually wrote like I just wrote down what I thought needed to be said, like, okay, this is using Sparrow. Um, here's what you need to back it up, that sort of thing. Um, if you want, I could make a template for that myself and put it in the show notes. For the instructions to get included? Yeah, the backup instructions. Yeah, yeah, that's, so, <clears throat> that's a good idea. That was the one thing with the Yeti cold instructions that... Uh, I was planning to make use of in some way. Um, each printout that you make that includes the XPRIV uh, has instructions for what to do with this uh, to be yep. able to recover. Yep. Yeah, so I did that with mine, but mine are kind of just hacked together. Like, I, I typed it out and said, you know, here's the instructions, but I... Uh, It'd be nice to just have a template because I, I don't remember what I wrote anymore. I, I'll probably have to break open the key that I have at my house. But yeah, so <clears throat> once you have all three of those, though, what you're going to do is you're going to have seven of those like legal style envelopes and make sure they are the kind that has like the pull off tab with the, with the sticker. You don't want the kind that just has the like wire brad that you fold over. Um because you want it, obviously you want it to look like it's been tampered with if somebody opens it. Yes. Um, and all of this, those three things, your CD with your public keys, the one private key, and the instruction page, all three of those go into each of these seven packets. And then you need to label the packet, you know, something along the lines of, um, you know, you you could you could put it like final will and testament, um, you know, hand deliver only property of your name or whatever, um, and then that's the kind of thing that you can totally give to like your lawyer, your accountant, safety deposit box, you know, trusted family members, trusted friends, whoever you're going to be storing these keys with. That's what it's going to look like, and you know it's going to look both. You know, it it's going to look boring to anybody who's like trying to steal from you because a will is just a piece of paper and that sort of thing. Um, you don't want to market with anything that could say it's Bitcoin, right? So just like Correct. the hardware wallet supply chain problem, we don't want it to say Bitcoin all over it. So just put final will and testament, you know, hand deliver to next of kin um, and then, you know, property of you or whatever. So that's pretty much the backup process then. Uh, but before you seal those up, you want to keep having them out on the desk because what we're going to do is verify all of the backups. Yes, before so, loading funds. 
Yep. So um, once once all of the key stores have been applied and you have seven keys loaded up, um, you're going to do is you're going to make sure that you have all your backups. You're going to count them all. You're going to make sure they're all labeled correctly, one through seven. And then you're going to um, shut Sparrow off. Go ahead and shut Sparrow off. Go to your uh, command line, and you're going to do um, what I showed you how to do in the original instructions and shred the wallet file. Um, and I, I don't remember the exact command, but it's using the shred command, and this only works on a spinning hard drive, so an HDD. If you have a solid-state drive, and if you do, you will know, um, but you should always double-check. If you have a solid-state drive, do not use shred. It will put undo wear on the solid-state drive because it doesn't work the same way, and it doesn't... The sh we can't even guarantee that shred will actually delete the thing that you were trying to delete, and you could break your computer, I'm pretty sure. Don't Oof. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because if it deletes something else, you know, if it if it if it puts wear in the wrong place on the hard drive, and now your operating system is corrupted or something, you know, what I mean? right. like you have no idea. Yeah, just delete um, a chunk of the OS instead. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it's because cache memory on a solid state drive works in like a, a completely different structure to a like a spinning disk hard drive. Um, right. So we don't don't want to use shred on those. But if you're using a hard drive like we recommended, because that's how I can make sure that you um, deleted things properly. Because here's the thing: if you're using a solid state drive, you might have to use something like Parted Magic, which is a a live operating system that you run off a USB stick. You know, just like we did when you installed De Debian or Ubuntu. Um, it comes with tools on it to uh, securely erase, like basically anything, and also like to be able to like break into hard drives like uh you know let's say something's got a password on it and you can't remember the password and you just want to reset the hard drive to make it usable again you can do that um but it will delete everything in there if you do that parted magic you can use to securely erase ssds but you're going to be erasing the whole thing and then you're going to have to redo the instructions to you know install debian and then download sparrow again so you can do this with a solid state drive. It's just extra steps. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to shred the wallet file, which is under uh, .sparrow slash wallets, I think, or just wallet, one of the two. Um, and that's that's your folder for uh, all of your wallet files that you create in Sparrow. And you, you use shred to delete it. And then once you've done that, you go back to the wallet creation part. But instead of generating new seeds, you're going to import your seeds by typing them in fresh and not clicking generate new. So you just go ahead and type in three of the keys. You're going to do one, two, and three. And then you're going to do four, five, and six. So you're going to re repeat this step twice just to make sure you're doing it properly and that all of the keys work. Um, I don't think even the Yeti cold process has you use key seven just because it's an odd number and you'd end up, you know, redoing things a lot. Um, but we'll do one, two, and three, and four, five, and six. Um, so you've shredded the wallet. You're going to import the first three keys by typing them in. And then for the other keys, what you're going to do, so for four, five, six, and seven, is you're going to click on XPUB Watch Only Wallet. 
When you do that, you'll notice that there are two boxes that are highlighted with red boxes now, the derivation and the XPub. So the derivation, uh, again, we left that default. It's actually grayed out here. Uh, so you can just type it in as it is um, on the screen, which is the M48002. Um, if you're using another wallet or if you used a non-standard derivation path, you need to type that in based on your backup. So make sure you write it down. And then the XPub, you're going to copy off of the one of the CDs that has all seven XPubs on it. Um, so make sure you copy in four for four, five for five, six for six, and seven for seven. Make sure you don't, again, this is why we labeled it properly, because if you type in three, four, five, and six, when we're using the private keys for one, two, and three, you've got key three on there twice, and then the wallet won't, won't uh, pull up properly. So copy all of that in for the, the XPubs, and then you click apply at the end, and the wallet will load right up, um, but you're not going to see a balance because you're not connected to the internet. So um, then what you do is with your online computer uh, that you've put the keys onto. So um, before you can test, you obviously need to have the watch only wallet going on your online computer. And that's the same process I just described. You take one of the, the public key CDs, put it into the um, online computer. If, if it doesn't have a drive, obviously you need to put all those public keys onto a USB stick and do it that way. And then label the USB stick and keep it somewhere safe. Or use USB sticks for your backup. Um, the only thing is USB sticks are a little more prone to failures than CDs. So, you know, I, I would just use the USB stick as a way to make this easier and then get rid of the USB stick afterwards. But um, Take your public keys on either USB stick or a CD, put it into the online computer, copy those in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in order correctly, hit apply, and now you can see your balance. It'll connect to your node because you've already done that. Um, and uh, it can only receive. So you're going to receive, you know, a small amount of funds, five, ten dollars, whatever you feel comfortable with, and then. Um, From there, let's see, I will just, I'll start doing this on my own wallet. So from there, when you do send, um, you're going to, from whatever phone wallet or whatever you used before, um, put in an address in the pay to line, add a label. Label could just be something like the word test. And then the amount in sats, which you want to use the full amount. So you can just hit max if you want. Um, and then the fee, we're going to just go ahead with uh, one sat per V-byte because we don't care about how long this takes because this isn't, you know, this isn't uh, super crazy. And um, you're going to click in the bottom right, create transaction. When you do that, there's going to be um, a new screen for a transaction and it's going to have a whole bunch of... Uh, big buttons in the middle of the screen and there's going to be a blue one that says um, prepare for signing or something like that. You go ahead and click that after you review the, review the details, make sure everything looks right. Click prepare for signing and then uh, you'll notice that the blue button on the next screen will be grayed out. So uh, you can't actually sign the transaction because you don't have the private keys. 
so what we're going to do is we're going to click Save Transaction. The saved transaction we're going to put onto a USB stick. This is the USB stick on uh, the Yeti Cold tutorial called, uh, they labeled it Transfer. Um, you're going to put the PSBT file on there. You can name it whatever you want, or you can just leave it. Um, I think on Sparrow, it actually does the same label that you put for the transaction. So if you use test as your transaction name, and it'll say test.psbt. Save it to the file to the fl flash drive. And then you unplug the flash drive into the offline computer. And then you go to file, open transaction, file. Or if you want to skip that, you can hit control F. And then you go to the in the little selector, you select the file from the flash drive. And when you load it up on that computer, the button that says sign transaction will actually be solid blue instead of grayed out. So you click the solid blue button. If it is not solid blue, you did something wrong. And I definitely had something go wrong when I did this the first time. I had the wrong public keys loaded and I had to go back and redo my wallet backup. Uh, and that's how I learned how important it is to have the like all of the right public keys and everything. So you um let me see. So we're we've clicked sign transaction and now there should be another grayed out button that says broadcast transaction, but you can't because you're not on the internet. So you click save again and when you save it it'll actually say dot txn for transaction as opposed to PSBT because it is now fully signed. Um, so it'll say like test.txn. Um, once that's done, you unplug the flash drive, plug it back into the online computer. And now when you load it up using control F to load the file into Sparrow, you, it should have the broadcast transaction button ready to go and you can send her off to the blockchain. Easy enough. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's really simple. It's just a matter of like when I'm talking about it, it sounds like there's a lot of steps, but all it really is is you save a file, load it up, sign it, save it again, load it up. <laughs> so uh, once once you've done that and you see that um, Sparrow is allowing you to sign those transactions, um, that means that your backup was good and you're good to go. So do it one more time according to the Yeti Cold. Um, process. We're going to do it one more time and delete. We're going to close down Sparrow on the offline computer. We're going to delete the file with shred and we're going to do it again, but we're going to use numbers four, five, and six for the seed phrases. And then we're going to use public keys one, two, three, and seven. Um, yeah. And then just follow that same process again. Make sure you work, make sure you wrote them down right, basically. And um, at that point, it's just a matter of. Um, distributing your keys and, and uh, loading up your savings account. So um, I will be right back. I'm going to let her out, as you can hear. <laughs> She's yeah, losing it. No worries. So, um, and then we can discuss.
All right. So everything uh, makes sense so far? Yeah. Okay. I know it's uh, I, that's like the crash course version. The video is like an hour long or something. But that's basically the steps. Yep. Yep. That's the short, quick and quick and easy. Yep. And then I guess you know, depending on how far you want to go, like if because you're using air gap computers, like this is at this point what you have is a three of seven quorum loaded onto a the equivalent of a hardware wallet. Um, if you wanted to, you could you could shred that wallet file again, make sure it's secure or whatever, securely deleted, and then now you have a completely offline three of seven multi-sig with all the keys distributed. Um, and then at that point, I mean, you could you could sell the computer, you could put Windows back on it, you could do whatever you want. Um, and then in that case, you know, like. You could you could send it back to whatever it's doing, and then when it's time to get the money back out, you put you know some Linux distribution back on it, download Sparrow again, use it as a hardware wallet. You know what I mean? When you yeah. back it up, yeah. If it's, it's all kind of up to you. I like, yeah. I was going to say if it's meant for longer term storage, not meant to have any withdrawal from it. Yeah, it to be the most inconspicuous, you could easily put Windows or reinstall Linux on it and. Just use it as a daily driver at that point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's literally just, it's gone now. If you, if you shredded it, it's now securely deleted and it's gone. So you don't have to worry about basically the computer at that point. You can just factory reset and sell whatever you want to do. Um, I know JW, when he made Yeti Colton, was advertising it a lot. He was talking about, like, you, you can do this for free because, or for basically free because I mean you still have to buy the discs and the envelopes and stuff, but right. um, you you can buy two laptops from Walmart, set them up, you know, install Linux, set this up, get it all working, make sure the wallet works, make sure your backups are good, start depositing funds, and then just wipe both of the like securely wipe both of the hard drives again, reload Windows onto them, and then return them to Walmart. Yep. It's not hard. Yeah, I, so. I believe I heard him, maybe on Ronald Slappy at one point, even say like, if if you want to go nuts with it, you can buy eight laptops and generate uh, one of the keys on each of the seven secondary devices. Oh, um, that would be nuts. <laughs> and then again, just return everything when you're done. Yeah. Yeah. If you, I guess, if you were really worried about. Uh, any of those one keys you know not being or like any of the keys like all of them not being securely deleted for some reason well whoever buys that computer next and gets a hold of it would only have one right so yeah that that would be crazy though that's <laughs> that seems like a lot yes agreed um yeah i in my case i just have the the computer around it, it's my old laptop that i bought back in 2013 it's an old dell laptop and uh i just use it as my hardware wallet and that is what it is so are you worried that dell's manufacturing in 2013 was preparing for their item to be used as a bitcoin wallet and installed malicious hardware 
Um, well, I'm a lot more worried about anyone advertising themselves as a hardware wallet company doing that than I am about Dell doing that. Yes, agreed. Yeah. I mean, a anyone, I guess anyone could do that, but like, here's the thing too. Like, so if we want to address that, um, I did that, that Citadel dispatch <laughs> episode. Right. Get one from 2008. <laughs> only, only computers <laughs> older than Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, no, but the if if you really want to address the Citadel Citadel Dispatch epi I hate that fucking name. That episode that you recommended to me, and I guess we can link that in the show notes for anybody who wants to go listen to people shit on us for being idiots. Um, by the way, they shit on average users too. Yeah. Um, they they spend the entire episode talking about how average people are stupid. Uh, yeah, it was anyway. it was quite progressive, if you if you will. They uh right uh. They they brought that up and they say, well, you know, uh, all of these computer companies are using tons of closed source software, and you know, the, any even a Linux distribution has a whole bunch of different programs on it, and you don't know what they are or what they're running, and like, yeah, that's true, but the difference would be that they're not advertising themselves specifically to like market themselves as a like providing me with a financial product and on top of that um you can like there I, i'm gonna have to find it again but there was a video i watched where it was like an open source not a symposium but a, or it was a conference uh that they had like last year or the year before um and one of the guys was this german dude who actually went through the process of building a completely open source laptop and you can literally like um take the designs uh cut the motherboard out yourself do all the soldering and then um 3d print the case they bought batteries that are generic batteries and so you have to use like four of them or something because like it's not like a big brick battery laptop so that you're not relying on them to give you the batteries um and so you can you can buy the laptop from them or you can literally build it from source by the way by the way you can do that and you can put linux on it or you can put whatever you want on it but uh if you tried to do that from source with another uh product like a hardware wallet you can't because they use secure elements and uh i'm not sure exactly what the issue was but one of my buddies actually tried to build the mark IV cold card when that came out and they refused to help when he found out that uh, he can't actually build it himself. Because he was trying to do it the right way and build it himself so that he knew what was on it and what it was doing and reproduce everything. And the build was non-reproducible. So if you want to go listen to that episode and listen to those guys laughing and, and guffawing about how retarded guys like us are, um, just know that. They, they are selling a completely... Like, it, it's almost fraudulent, the way that they sell their products. Yeah. Also, guffawing is a great word. Right? I just uh, used it off the top of my head. Uh, that was excellent. I was not excellent. planning that. Perfect vocabulary. Um, also, yeah. just on the, on the same note, uh, NVK also likes to talk a lot of crap about air-gapped computers, and also is sure to market in all of his promos for the cold card mark 4 
that it can be used air gap. Well, it's not the air gapping that's the issue. It's the computers that's the issue. With right, him. but he, that's one of his points that he's made. Right. Well, the reason he's going to call it air-gapped computers because that entire group of people, like the mainstream podcaster Bitcoiners, um, they've... It, it's like they did this in the in the Instagram chats or something, like offline, or, or not offline, but like, you know, away from the public eye in the back room. They all t told each other, we're never going to say JW's name on air again. So what, what yes. they say is that Wookiee, and they say air-gapped computers. They will not say the word Yeti Cold, and they will not say the word J.W. Weatherman. So, that's factual. Like, they're, they're literally trying to memory hold J.W., and that's just, like, really gross if you think about that, because that's, like, straight-up government behavior to act like that. I don't like it. Yeah, it's... Like, debate him, talk to him. You know, if you don't like him, don't talk to him. But... I mean, if anything, this is just like the height of pettiness. It's it's just gross. It's really gross. Yes, agreed. Um, so, so I've only been diving deeply into Bitcoin for about a year and a half now. Was there ever a point before that time that his uh, protocols, procedures, whatever? were taken on seriously? Um, well, so I... I don't know about Yeti Cold, but, like, I can tell you that, like, he... JW is, like, one of the really, like, hardcore open-source guys, so he has an issue with even, like, for example, um, the Start9 Embassy is running on a license that is technically open-source, but, like, the the official term would be source available because the license has something in it that says like you're not allowed to use this software to make money because it's our software um so like i like i can't make i can't just like start building embassies for people and selling them because like you still need to go buy a product key from start nine does that make sense gotcha yeah so jw would say that that's not open source Start nine would say, well, it's it's source available, it's open source, but we have this like license around like they're not you can use it for personal use or commercial use. If it's if it's commercial use, then like you go through us kind of thing. Um, free and open source, FOSS, that's going to be completely open, like you know, like the Debian Foundation and you know, like actual open source product projects. Like, you know, Sparrow is is that way. Um, it's on GitHub. I don't owe the guy any money. It's up for donations. You know what I mean? Like, the guy the guy probably has a day job where he makes money doing something else. Um, in the embassy's case, the embassy is a product made by a company. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, JW is one of those guys where it's like, you, you can't even cross that line. Like, it, it's very tight, free open source, which is fine. I'm... I'm I'm okay talking to people like that. Um, and of course, so the issue then is that when he got on MVK about... Um, he, so, like, my first experience with him was his story about jumping on MVK on Twitter and saying, like, hey... And, and I guess he was just really trying to make a suggestion to him, but uh, MVK got defensive about it, which is when you 
set up the cold card using the quick start guide, it should um, default to um, hey, you should run your own node. Instead, it defaults to public Electrum server, and any idiot who just bought one thinking that he's good now is going to just use the default setup, and they're not going to do any more looking into it, and now they've blown all of their privacy. Yes. And so that's what JW was pissed about, and NVK completely blew him off, and um, basically, not that like that's never changed. And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Craig Raw even brought that up. He didn't bring it up directly, like asking NVK what the hell, but he mentioned that Sparrow Wallet starts in offline mode and requires you to choose your server. Yeah. And you know, you have your your private Electrum server and you have your Bitcoin Core server, which is the the local node if you're running it on the same machine. And then there's the the slot for the public Electrum server, but it doesn't automatically load up with that. You know. Correct. Um, and yeah. he made a he made a point about that, and NVK didn't address it at all. What they I, I forget if I look in our Discord, you can see me ranting about it because I was live tweeting as I was listening. Um, <laughs> yes, you're very good about doing that. What I did should, he? I should what did he more. say? Yeah. What did he say? Um. Oh, here we go. Oh yeah, so got to fifty minutes because because I had mentioned that I was like thirty minutes in and no one brought up bringing your own node, so I got to fifty minutes and Craig Raw brought up running your own node and how he made Sparrow not choose public Electrum servers by default. Can't wait to hear NVK respond to that. Nope, we're just going to talk about signing difficulties with hardware wallets on Sparrow. So he pivots and goes directly to how how does the cold card and Sparrow work together? He doesn't really care about the fact that he just brought up the exact issue that he ghosted JW over. So, yeah, that behavior, I mean, clearly this is simply um, people have a stick up their ass because one guy's a little bit of a dog with a bone and, and won't, you know, let it go when he thinks that something is wrong. And, you know, I, I've appreciated the way JW does that because it always gets me thinking about things and, and recognizing when something may be more or less secure than it should be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, oh. I won't, I won't turn this into a response episode, but, uh, <laughs> that is, we might do that in the future. Yeah. It's, some of it's worth discussing. Um, <clears throat> as we're winding down here, uh, kind of a cool side note, um, not at all an endorsement of CoinKite, do your research there and with NVK, etc. Um, but the the sats card product um coinkite offers two different sats cards that feature artwork by our buddy moo which is pretty neat mm -hmm. yeah i so i did ask him about that because he was uh people were saying like they want to buy it but i was like he was like yeah i know you got some of you guys are anti-hardware wallet and uh what I I actually DM'd him and I said, "Hey man, like I'll just like take a screenshot and then donate to you." And he's like, "But I asked him like, hey, did they are they giving you a percentage or are they just did they just pay you?" And he said, "No, they just paid me outright." So I was like, "Okay, well then I don't care." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I think cool. the artwork is great, but I also like you've gotten paid and I don't give a shit about them, so I'm not giving them my money. So yeah, 
Fair enough. Uh, the art, the art is gorgeous, though. Yeah, it, it would be quite cool um, to have one, not even to use, but just to carry around. Um, right. Be able to show off and such, like just carry it in a wallet, as typical. I think the um, the Sats card is just the tap signer, right? Uh, it's the seed signer, but in the shape of a card. Right. Yeah. So it's it's the. Oh, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. The Sats card is like a hardware wallet. It's like a paper wallet, but it's on a card. That's what it is. So I think you, you can actually put you put funds on it, but it's got like a scratch off with the Bitcoin key on it or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the, on the site, That's it, what it, says, is. it says that it's the. Uh, maybe it's the open dime, but in card form. Right. And that's kind of what an open dime is, too, except an open dime is USB. Right. Yeah. So the so open got, dime is a... basically just. A paper that... wallet where it's got a key and then it's got funds on it and able to know that no one's opened the key because it's got a tamper-proof seal on it, which is the same as the scratch-off on the card. Yes. Um, but my issue, as always, is if someone else generated the key, you have no idea if they kept a, a copy of that. Right. Yeah. It's it's so. it's definitely a custodial arrangement if you use it for yeah, accepting. Yeah, it's absurd. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's a neat idea, um, especially for, um, like in in place of the Sats chip, which is much more expensive, um, to have it you know displayed alongside artwork or at a farmers market booth or something like that, to where somebody can just uh, tap it if they've got an NFC enabled wallet, and then it sends there, and then you know end of the day withdraw by uh, you know, removing the scratch off and yeah scanning I would it say I actually I think I like something like Breeze wallet better for that just because like if you're going to do a point of sale you should just have a point of sale system and Breeze wallet actually allows you to make items and someone can build a cart um because what you don't want to do is just be like, hey, send me this much, and then someone taps it, and you're good. But like, unless they show you their phone with how much they sent you, kind of hard to... Like, I would want I would want them to scan a QR code that has an amount built in. Yeah, yeah that's fair. So I that's why you want to generate a new QR code every time. Yeah, I guess maybe it could be cool for the specific situation of just receiving a few donations in person. Um... So if you had, yeah. if you had like a, you built a little, like one of those little, little free libraries at the end of your driveway, but you have eggs for sale on the honor system, just have that oh, as yeah. an option where people can, can tap it to uh, spend Bitcoin, something like that. I don't know. It's kind of a cool concept for sure. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, my thing is, is it's, it, to me, it just feels like jewelry. Um, yeah, I would agree. I don't with know. That. Does anybody, does anybody ever actually sell eggs on the honor system like that? I don't know. Yeah. I live in this city. Like it, it feels like jewelry. Um, but speaking of, since we're on the cards, uh, I just watched that video from Jack Mallers that I linked to you. Let's put that in the show notes too, because mm -hmm. he's talking about the uh, strike card that's coming out. So they're doing a strike debit card. Um, because strike is competing with you know, other banks. Um and the idea is to be able to actually like just use the card. So like you know you can get a cash up card, you can get a Venmo card, you can get a PayPal card, um, 
going to be able to get a strike card. And then what you can do is you can actually just receive money. This is going to be really great for people who are on zero because uh, you can just receive your paycheck paid in Bitcoin on strike. And then you can sell the Bitcoin in the app. It goes to the uh, dollar side, the dollar side of the wallet, which is just like Cash App. And then you can swipe your card to pay for things or you can... Um, you know, use that card to pay for like your bills or whatever. Yeah. That's so nice. that's pretty cool. Um, the only thing I don't think I can use it for in my case, since I pay rent, um, actually I have to make, well, I pay rent the old school way, which is I actually deposit money to my landlord's account. But if you have like a, a company, like an, a company that owns an apartment complex, usually they have like online pay where you can use a debit card um, case, then you could use it. Right. And you could pay all right. your bills that way. So um, Strike is getting very close to replacing Level, I think, uh, for like some of the stuff that Rollo was talking about that he liked yeah. about Level. Yeah, which um, is really great since Level shut down. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. I personally just got on to the Pay Me in Bitcoin with Strike, and I can't wait for it to start coming in like that. Um, nice. Because it's, it's, it's definitely lowered my time preference and my living on the fly. So what I do now as of today is I'm budgeting my entire month based on what I get paid without overtime. Uh, and then what I'm doing is I'm just saying, okay, for the month, here's my, my spending cap. And if I get overtime, that money is just going to end up staying in Bitcoin. Um, nice. Of course, of course, I'm going to use that that money for if I ever have to, I can sell a little extra and, uh, you know, like fix my car or that sort of thing. But yeah, of course, yeah, that's yeah. what a savings account is for. So, right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I'm my my budgeting is now on a monthly basis, even though I get paid weekly. And I think that's really cool that um, style of being on zero works that way for me because it really has sort of opened my eyes to what I can do financially now. That's awesome. And yeah. Yeah, I won't go too deep into that because a lot of it's personal, but um, it's it's pretty neat. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you want to wrap it there? I'm about to piss my pants. Yep, I'm good <laughs> with that. All right, uh, go check out the plugs. Jared's got free bacon for you. Um, yes. Also I check out it... Limited Supply Designs. Yes, please Sorry, check what? it out. I'm finally doing uh, new designs again uh, in preparation nice. for Self-Reliance Fest. I realized that everything that I have actually made into t-shirts is super Bitcoin heavy. And I'm going into <laughs> like, you know, like a permaculture homesteading focused place that is going to have some bit curious and some bit opposed folks there. So I need to have a better variety. Uh -huh. um, so I'm printing up a few more uh, collaborations that I did with Walt. Um, there was one that came in from a, like, it was a suggestion. It was just a message from a friend that I'd made on Instagram. Uh, and I told her I, I'll make it into a t-shirt and if it sells, then she gets some money. Um, so I've been trying to do that. I've got another one that Mike inspired, um, just by some throwaway thing that he said on the podcast and it, it turned into a pretty cool design. Uh, it's up on my Instagram right now. I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, so yeah, if that sells, somebody goes to Mike doing stuff like that. Gotta be better about dropping plugs at the beginning of the episodes too but yeah that was my bad i i heard you uh it sounded like you were getting ready to do plugs and then you went somewhere else and then we just kept going uh 
the train had left the station at that point. So. Yeah, it happens. At least they're getting mentioned, period, each episode. Yep. Um, I guess I will say, uh, if you find the Bitcoin stuff useful and the work that I did putting those instructions together, obviously there's things I'm still finishing, but uh, once we get to that point and it's all done, or or even if you figured it out the rest of the way and, you know, and you were able to get running based on what you've got and you appreciate it, um, you can go to agorabrewing.blog and there is actually a uh, button, I think it says donate, um, across the top there's a there's a button for that and then uh, my BTC pay server, uh, which can be accessed over to Tor, uh, and you can leave me a, a Bitcoin uh, tip with the new vault you just created. So, Hell yeah, that's bitchin'. Um, Also, while we're on that topic, I will mention that we are on Fountain, um, which I still maintain as a horrible user experience, but it is (laughs) nice for being able to send small value-for-value exchanges with the Lightning Network uh, to podcasts that you appreciate. So feel free to check that out Mm -hmm. for that purpose. And clipping alone, I do not in any way suggest fountain for regular podcast listening because it is atrocious for that <laughs> and this is the only wow. this is the only yeah. honest endorsement you will hear of fountain podcast right Something yeah that, it's kind of the same been, way with that has uh, been the bug up my chat. butt for a, a good while now god that's been yeah I feel me you. Nuts. we'll get into it more in the next episode because i really gotta pee but yep unhappy about it <laughs> All right, well, before Jared uh, his pants, cheers. Peace and love.